What is this Al-Anon thing, anyway? Why should we who don't have a problem with drinking need a 12-step program? Today, we'll talk about what is Al-Anon. Welcome to episode 195 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Maria. She used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Maria, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. And today I'm actually replaying the discussion part of episode 10, which was titled, What is Al-Anon? I had an episode planned for this weekend, and then my uh, co-host wasn't able to do it. I assumed he was, and turned out I assumed incorrectly. You know what they say about assuming. Anyway, here's episode 10. Welcome to The Recovery Show. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of what is Al-Anon. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them, take what you like, and leave the rest. We hope that you will find in our sharing something that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. Joining me is co-host Kelly. How are you today, Kelly? I'm great, Spencer. Thanks. And also, we have co-host Swetha. How are you, Swetha? Great, thank you. All right. And uh, so our first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic, What is Al-Anon? Following a musical break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in the meetings we attend, and in our lives. We will follow that with brief news about the podcast before closing with another musical break. I want to start by reading the Al-Anon preamble, which is the way that many of our meetings are opened. The Al-Anon family groups are a fellowship of relatives and friends of alcoholics who share their experience, strength, and hope in order to solve their common problems. We believe alcoholism is a family illness and that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Al-Anon is not allied with any sect, denomination, political entity, organization, or institution, does not engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any cause. There are no dues for membership. Al-Anon is self-supporting through its own voluntary contributions. Al-Anon has but one purpose, to help families of alcoholics. We do this by practicing the 12 steps, by welcoming and giving comfort to families of alcoholics, and by giving understanding and encouragement to the alcoholic. So, as I said, my name is Spencer, and uh, I'm going to start um, by asking uh, each of us to say a little bit about why we came to Al-Anon. Why don't, why don't you start, Swetha? Uh, I came to I came to Al-Anon. Actually, I, I had no idea what Al-Anon was um, until um, I was I was dating a guy that was in in AA. He had already been in recovery for a few years. We'd been together a little while, so he, you know, heard my life story by then in all of its codependent glory. At one point, I was telling him that my father was coming into town, and I was really nervous because of a relationship I have with my father that is extremely codependent. And he said, well, I go to this program, I go to Al-Anon, and it's, uh, it's helped me a lot and helped me figure out what my boundaries are and things like that. And... Uh, why don't you come with me? And I, I thought, no, <laughs> no, but I was, uh, too codependent to say no. So I said, okay. And then went and I heard a couple of people talk about things that really did speak to my life. At that point, I didn't realize I had really alcoholism in my life. I thought I just had a few people that maybe drank too much or did a few drugs, um, <laughs> too much, but, uh, it's not really, you know, having an addiction problem. <laughs> it's, it's repeatedly doing something they don't want to do consciously or something. I don't know. Anyway, that's why I came. Then I didn't go back for a while because I didn't want to want my boyfriend to think that he, had a huge effect on my life. So I didn't want him to, <laughs> I didn't want him to know. <laughs> so I didn't go back for a while. And then I realized that a lot of the things that people were saying, I still reached out and a lot of the things people were saying were helping me. So that's why I went back. It helped me feel calm, even if just for a moment talking to people. Thank you. Sweet. How about you, Kelly? Well, I also came to the program because of a partner relationship I uh, kind of wish we had a co-host here today who came because of their kids. I feel like we have kind of a singular message this morning. But yeah, I, I started dating a guy who had been sober for five years at the time we met. 
I didn't grow up in an alcoholic home, so I had no frame of reference for alcoholism or anything surrounding that. Although in hindsight, looking back, pretty much everyone that I dated prior to this man could have qualified for <laughs> some program or another. Uh, yeah, he, he brought me here and actually I came at the suggestion of his sponsor who said that I've, if I was wanting to be in a relationship with this man, that, that I was sick and there was something <laughs> wrong with me and I, and I needed a program as well. So I came and I didn't understand what people were talking about. I couldn't really relate. And it just seemed kind of like a foreign language, like I was kind of in a foreign country. But I did notice that I liked the aspect of of the commu- sense of community that there was in meetings, that a lot of the people seemed to know each other and they laughed a lot and... I actually, because nothing resonated with me, I actually took a a hiatus from the program for about two years. And then uh, because of some circumstances with that primary relationship where uh, our codependency got out of control and his disease got out of control, that we ended up coming back to the program. And at that point, because I had sort of, quote unquote, hit my bottom, a lot of what I heard people talking about in meetings started to make more sense and started to click. And at that point, I, I, it, it made sense why I was there. I could, I could definitely relate. Thanks, Kelly. And uh, for me, I also came in uh, because of a life partner who was struggling with alcoholism. And I had been um, denying the problem while trying to fix it for a long time. Mm-hmm. By the time I got to al I was I was pretty desperate. You know, some people, and I guess we don't have any of them around the table here today, um, some people come into Al-Anon expecting to learn how to fix their loved one, fix their loved one's addiction. That was not my case. I, I knew that I was coming here for myself, that I had hit a bottom, that I, I had could not continue life the way it was, and I was willing to try something. I, you know, didn't see how this was really going to help, but... I had heard that it might, and I was desperate, so I came. Um, you know, in the in the opening, uh, in the preamble that I read, we talk about it says we we believe alcoholism is a family illness, and I didn't really understand what that meant. I guess what what one of the things that I came to understand was that because alcoholism and addiction affects a person's actions and affects the way that they interact with other people around them, that that their sickness sort of spreads through that mind-to-mind contact, if you will. And it, it makes those of us who are in a close relationship with them, I don't know, we pick up a lot of the characteristics, I think, of the disease. Uh, it's, it's pretty, except for the actual drinking or drugging part. And uh, I don't know, what's your understanding of that, Kelly? Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up, Spencer, because as I mentioned, I didn't grow up in a household with active alcoholism, but after being in the program for some years, you know, things start to become a little bit clearer in terms of the extended family dynamic. And I realized that there was active, untreated alcoholism on both sides of my family. The interesting part is that on my father's side of the family, it goes back to my grandmother's father and there were no active alcoholics between him and now, I guess. But the interesting thing is that, you know, my, my father still has a lot of characteristics of what we consider, you know, the family dynamic of codependency, of people pleasing, of emotional detachment. Um, a lot of those things that like Spencer mentioned that I picked up on and, and those were the ways that I was taught to interact with others, especially my family, but, but also neighbors and schoolmates and, and pretty much everyone I encounter on a daily basis. So, um, I truly do believe that it's a family disease. And to me, it seems like the chaos and insanity of living with active alcoholism requires us to develop certain coping mechanisms. And those are the the actions that help us get through day-to-day living. Because those seem to work, and for people who never seek recovery, 
those are the the traits that get that get passed down from from children and and parents. So yeah, I I do agree that it is a family disease. Swayze, do you have any thoughts on that topic? I really resonate a lot with what Kelly is saying. Yeah, uh, like I said, when I came into the program, I was thinking, actually, my first thought was, I can't be here. I'm cheating. There's no one in my life that's an alcoholic. <laughs> right. Except, you know, my boyfriend and my one of my best friends who can't stop taking drugs or drinking and, you know, my, my uncles. And except for those people, there's no one in my life that's an alcoholic. So I'm cheating by being here. In my family, there's a lot of codependency. Like, uh, I mean, very similar to what Kelly was saying, I did not grow up with active alcoholism in my immediate family. Holidays were interesting. <laughs> Those were, <laughs> people got a little bit goofy on holidays, but, uh, nobody talked about it. And it was, yeah. And, uh, so I definitely picked up a lot of people pleasing and a lot of my boyfriends <laughs> were al- alcoholics also. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm adding to this so much as <laughs> seconding everything <laughs> Kelly's saying. But yeah, I did. I mean, whenever I was in a situation alcohol with an alcoholic or non-alcoholic, I let them sort of set the rules of the relationship. And whatever they did was how it was supposed to be. And that's how... So I, I, not, I didn't so much set my own rules as learned their rules. So when I was in relationships with alcoholics... If they acted a certain way, I was like, oh, that's the rule. That's how we act. So when I act that way, that's how the other person has to respond because this is the rule. And so, yeah, I definitely, I picked up a lot of really unhealthy behaviors. When I came into the program, I would talk to friends and sponsors and say, well, they're doing this. They're being manipulative and they're, you know, forcing this and stuff like that. And, you know, people would say, well, um, think, think back. Have you done any of these <laughs> before? And I'm like... Yeah, but <laughs> that, that's not as bad or something. I don't know. I had some ridiculous excuse. But yeah, I picked up a lot of their behaviors for sure. It is a family, definitely a family and friends. Very important to say that too. Family and friends disease. It's really hard to. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I it, Somewhere in in, uh, in one of the books, um, I think it's in How Elanon Works, and it's talking about the tradition that, that says, you know, the only qualification for membership is problem of alcoholism in a family member or friend Mm -hmm. and everywhere else we say family but i just take that to to mean you know sort of my extended relational family not just the people that i'm related to by blood or 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 marriage or whatever and i was thinking about again like you guys i didn't grow up with active alcoholism Uh, i really didn't understand what alcoholism was i had a certain picture of what an alcoholic was and and my loved one did not fit that picture so mm-hmm. clearly she couldn't be an alcoholic she just you know drank too much <laughs> another benefit that i got from coming to alanon and was learning about alcoholism and learning that you know alcoholics come in all shapes and sizes from all walks of life and that yeah my my loved one really qualified in my family I mean, no, there's alcoholism in my extended family. I have an uncle and a cousin who are in recovery and have been for several years now. And they actually sort of helped me a little bit when I was first getting used to this idea. You know, my mother, as I, I've said before, my mother is sort of raging codependent, and I learned it from her very well. And I have to believe that there is some alcoholism back in the family history, but I really don't know where it is. Um, not something anybody talks about, right? Right. We do hide it. You know, at the Wednesday meeting last week, a lot of people spoke about uh, being in denial about the fact that their loved one had an alcohol or drug problem. And I wanted to, to, to speak up and say, you know, my denial was so strong that she told me she was an alcoholic and I denied it. Mm-hmm. So no, that can't be true. Mm-hmm. That can't be true. <laughs> yeah, crazy. And and so, you know, coming to Al-Anon helped me to to start to see that sort of thing, to see my denial and you know, learning how to live with the effects that alcoholism had had on me and how to start to change those effects and also uh, in my case since I was at that point living with active alcoholism, learning how to skills to to live in that situation and help reduce, if not reducing the external chaos, at least reducing my internal chaos. You know, and there's a couple other programs that I guess 
none of us have been to, so maybe we can't really comment on them, but there's a, a program called Adult Children of Alcoholics, which is very, very like Al-Anon, but focuses on the issues that people who grew up with their parents as alcoholics have in, in particular. And, and, you know, I have friends who, who are also in that program and, and I know they say that there are aspects of, of adult children of alcoholics. There are things that are talked about in the meetings that really hit home for them and that those come up maybe, I guess, less frequently or something in Al-Anon. I'm not sure, not having been there. And, and there's also a program called Codependence Anonymous, which, um, I know at least one friend of mine has been to when he thought his problem was just codependency and before he, recognized the uh, the alcoholism that was in uh, his background. And I don't know if he still goes to that one or not. Um, he he chose to come to, to Al-Anon a couple of years ago. And can either of you, do either of you have any experience with those programs that, or should we just move on? I've actually sponsored a couple of women who have been active in ACOA, adult children. And I do know they have a, their own set of literature. They have their own how adult children of alcoholics works or something to that extent. It's a massive book. It's really intimidating looking. <laughs> um, and they also have something similar to our fourth step workbook, but it really deals with, I think you touched on this, Spencer. It, adult children sounds to me like it deals much more with examining the things that you miss out on in childhood as a result of being raised by an alcoholic. So some of the emotional deficiencies and sort of uh, loving type of behaviors that you didn't receive growing up and how to nurture those and change your behavior so that you can be more loving and caring towards others, I guess. I, I haven't actually worked it myself, but I have discussed it a little bit with them. And it it sounds like it is similar. I mean, if you live in an area where they only have Al-Anon and they don't have any ACOA meetings, I don't think they're so different that you would be totally suffering by not having it. But the, the literature definitely covers a lot of things that isn't or that aren't in the Al-Anon literature. So... Oh, I haven't really had a lot of experience with either. I think my first meeting, I asked what the difference was between Alcoholics Anonymous and Codependence Anonymous and why um, someone would go to one instead of another. And someone in the program just said, they're they're the same thing. I just like the people here. (laughs) They're all my friends here. So it's like, okay, well, that's a whole other meeting that I'd have to commit to. So I'm just going to stay at this one. (laughs) Yeah. And there's also... um Naranon, which is like Al-Anon, yes. but for uh, specifically dealing with people who have narcotic addict loved ones. And I really know very little about that program. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Um, a, a friend of mine who is in Al-Anon and also I think ACOA once said that he left his home. He, he went away. He went to school. He, he moved away for, for 20 years. He basically denied that he had any problems and finally realized that he was still affected by having grown up in an alcoholic home. And so he came to Al-Anon and started to figure out like why he had these recurring patterns of failure in his life, that they were about the way that he had been raised and the, the coping skills that he had learned in his alcoholic home that just didn't work in the sort of the regular world, you know, that wrecked for him lost him jobs, wrecked relationships, and, uh, you know, eventually made him miserable enough that he said, I need to do something about it. So another question that some people have might have is, well, what, how is Al-Anon different from AA? And I guess I'll just uh, throw in my little two cents here is that, well, AA is drinking, is, is dealing with drinking and Al-Anon is dealing with somebody else's <laughs> drinking. And sometimes we broaden that and, and say, well, uh, in Al-Anon, we learn how to deal with with relationships and people Mm -hmm. because uh, our ability to deal with those has been, has been affected, damaged by somebody else's drinking and the effect that somebody else's alcoholism had on us and in our skills. And we do see, especially I think here in Ann Arbor, I don't know. um, I understand that in some places it's less common, but we see a lot of AA members coming to Al-Anon. You know, my sponsor has told me he feels that any AA member is all, sort of automatically qualified for Al-Anon because they 
always have family members or close friends who are alcoholics or mm-hmm. in some cases um, I know a number of people who who've ended up coming to Al-Anon because they couldn't deal with you know the people that they were sponsoring mm-hmm. maybe going back out and drinking and their desire to to control those people and and they knew that they couldn't they knew they were powerless over alcohol but when they would try to talk about those issues in an AA meeting and and somebody, maybe their sponsor, would say, you know, that's an Al-Anon issue. You should go to Al-Anon for that. And, uh, or, you know, they grew up in an alcoholic home or they're married to somebody who's an alcoholic or they're, you know, it, it's, it's, it's all there. Um, Kelly, do you have thoughts on this? I do. I, I think from my perspective, I look at it that both programs deal with addiction. Um, AA deals with substance addiction. And as you mentioned, I, I, I get the impression that the program here in Ann Arbor is slightly different from some other areas where a lot of the AA meetings in our area are very welcoming to drug addicts as well. And they realize that a lot of people are cross addicted, that you may just not be addicted to one substance. You may have used many, many different kinds, but you know, a lot of times we talk in the Al-Anon meetings here about how our addiction is people and relationships. And that is true for me. You know, it's it, it was so much easier for me to focus on what everybody else was doing and trying to plan out their lives and control their behavior and get them to do the things that I thought were best instead of focusing on my own life and problems, of which there were many. So to me, that that is almost kind of a similarity and a difference in the same sense that they both deal with addiction. Al-Anon is just more about my addiction to people or or my codependency. I haven't had a ton of experience uh, with AA, but um, I have read that in the past that uh, friends and families of alcoholics used to go to AA meetings with their alcoholics back like way back in the day and that that was helpful also. I mean, I, I, somebody actually mentioned to me recently that the difference between people in Al-Anon and people in AA is, I mean, we have essentially the same issues, but that we, but it manifests differently sometimes that, um, for example, I can be really self-centered and, uh, have really low self-esteem and a really big ego. And I, and simultaneously accuse my, uh, qualifiers of that while <laughs> manifesting those traits. Yeah. I just, like Spencer said, I think it's just dealing with, um, or, and Kelly, it's just two different addictions, same issues. I did want to mention too, I know Spencer, you talked about how in this area, a lot of AA members do come to Al-Anon and I have, um, sponsored a few of them and I've noticed, uh, you know, there are a lot of similarities in the behavior, as Swetha mentioned, but there are some differences too. And I think it's important to mention that if you are in both programs, it's really important to have a sponsor in each program or all of the programs that you attend, <laughs> um, because there are enough differences where um, it's important to have that perspective from each program to help you get through whatever issues you're having. I, yeah, I've, I've sponsored some, uh, some guys in a, in Al-Anon who are also in AA and, and one of them, you know, he would call me and he would say, you know, I'm, I'm doing this thing or I, I want to do this thing. What do you think? And I would tell him what I thought. And he said, man, that's what my AA sponsor said too. Darn it. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> and, and to me, that speaks to, you know, in some cases, the, the, the similarity of the approach of the programs that, I mean, once you get past that first, I mean, the words of the steps, the words of the 12 steps are almost identical between the two programs. Mm-hmm. The only difference is that in step 12, we carry the message to others. And in AA, they carry the message to alcoholics. That's the only word that's different between the 12 steps. Mm-hmm. And clearly, you know, AA members uh, deal with that first step, powerlessness over alcohol, in a different way than than we do. We deal with our powerlessness over the effects of alcohol on other people. But they also say, I, I've heard it said in, in AA that, you know, I'm powerless over people, places, and things. And that is exactly mm-hmm. yes. where we are. And so once you get past that first step, there's all, a whole lot of similarity in, mm-hmm. in the programs. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I listened to our step two discussion from last week and I'm like, wow, there's almost nothing that's Al-Anon specific in what we said. 
Yeah. And I've had this experience talking um, on the Recovered podcast, which is is more focused on AA, that unless we're talking about things that deal sort of directly with drinking, directly with alcohol, we're saying the same stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we, we're starting to, to talk about how Elanon helps us. We've talked about that a little bit. And I want to read an email we got from one of our listeners. Um, this is from Diana. And she says, I always joke that Elanon doesn't change anything about my life except for the amount of sleep I get. There is a little truth to that. It provides me with a different perspective and interpretation of the things that happen in my life, and with that, the support and tools I need to handle those situations with calm and grace. In effect, I lose a lot less sleep because the world stops happening to me, and instead I allow myself to play an active, decisive, and genuine role in my own life. I use the program to be a better version of myself, to myself, and in my other relationships. So Kelly, how do you see Elanon? Uh, how has Elanon helped you? How does it help you now? Very briefly, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could go on for days about that. Um, I actually, you know, I was thinking about it this week as we had selected this as the topic. And as I just had some random thoughts during some moments of meditation in the mornings, I had written down that Elanon to me is the gray area. It's the space between right and wrong, black and white. The place where I can find peace, patience, and understanding. A space that moves me away from fear and into love. A new way of living. And so for me, it's really about just... God, it's so hard to, to say it succinctly. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, be like, as much like uh, Diana had mentioned, just being a better person to myself and those around me. Being more present, being more aware... And, and knowing that, that there are very few situations or circumstances where the answers are only this or that, you know, where there are only two options that there's in most circumstances, I have a multitude of choices and it's terrifying and freeing to know that at the same time. Swetha? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we, we, we do want to keep the podcast under, you know, two hours or something. <laughs> Al-Anon, how Alanon helps me. I, I think, uh, this past week, I, uh, for example, this past week, I got some pretty devastating news. And a year ago, before I came to Alanon, I would have spiraled. Not, that's not to say I haven't a little bit <laughs> in the past few days, but I would have spiraled and sunk into a self-pitying depression. And things like that. But, uh, rather than being self-aware and being present and trying to be solution oriented and realize where my boundaries are, what my limits are and what I can do and worry about what I couldn't do with Al-Anon, I've been able to be self-aware, been able to get up and get dressed and shower <laughs> and, and laugh still. I mean, and, uh, and be okay and realize that these are the things I can do. Sometimes I'm going to screw up and, and I'm all right and I'm still a person. So I, I guess Al-Anon just helped me be okay with myself and, and be calm in that. Yeah. You know, as I, as I said earlier, I, I did come into the program while I had active drinking, active alcoholism in my life. And so right at the beginning, I mean, at my first Al-Anon meeting, what helped me was, realizing that I wasn't alone, that there were, there were other people in the world who understood what was going on in my life and that would not judge me. And then I started to see that, that those people, you know, a lot of the people in the meetings, maybe they were still living with active drinking and they seemed happier than me. They seemed more serene. They seemed more able to connect with their life. And so, you know, at the beginning, those are the things that I learned from Elanon. I learned how to stop obsessing. I learned how to, to, to start to bring myself back into my life, uh, because I, my life had been consumed by the actions of another person and trying to control those actions and try to, trying to change the way that person acted. And that really is pretty much an impossible task. And so it was driving me nuts. <laughs> and of course I didn't recognize it. You know, it's like, the you know the the story about cooking a frog right you put the frog in a pot of cold water and you slowly heat it up and the frog never realizes that it's getting hot until it's too late and that's kind of where it was for me that mm. that it was gradual right it built up gradually and i didn't really notice how bad it was until it was really really bad for me and then i didn't know what to do 
you know, couldn't hop out of the pot. So Al-Anon helped me to, to learn ways of, of being without getting boiled. Okay. To, and then we're going to stop that analogy now, I think, um, <laughs> because I took it a little too far. <laughs> and then what I, what I started to see was that the ways in which, well, the ways in which my responses to the alcoholism, um, in my loved one had affected me, had really damaged the ways that I interacted with people around me. Um, I had a huge amount of anger and rage inside me and that came out often at very inappropriate times and always as a, what would, you know, be a, a real overreaction to whatever the stimulus was that somebody would do something little and I would scream and shout and pound the table. And, you know, when that happened at home, then my kids would cringe and I, my daughter said to me recently that she said, Oh yeah, I would just go in the other room and eventually you would calm down and come apologize. You know, that's not the person that I wanted to be, but that's the person that I was that would happen at work, which was really inappropriate. I think, you know, I was coming close to being fired for, for that kind of behavior. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it came up in my, my annual review and like, you know, you need to take some anger management classes. If you can't get this under control, I don't know if you can continue to work here. So it wasn't like you're out of here, but it was, it was a very clear signal. And thank God that I had already started to find Elanon at that point. And Elanon really helped me to bring that under control mostly by, well, I don't know. I, you know, one of the things they gave me was a place where I could start to express the, the anger that I had in a safe place. And so it, it didn't pile up, but it also, you know, I learned different ways to act so that the anger didn't come in the first place. And I have, I think I have to credit my higher power there because it's not something that I could have done for myself. It really is not something I could have done for myself. And so working my my higher power, working through the program, Mm -hmm. working in my life, really changed the way that, that I act and, and interact with people. Uh, Kelly, could you uh, read the email we got from Nikki? Yes. Nikki says, For me, Al-Anon has been a lifesaver. It is a program that has taught me how to care for myself and how to stop obsessing over my alcoholic. It has brought me peace and serenity. It has brought me amazing friendships with people I would have never otherwise met if it weren't for this disease and my need for help. It has taught me that I need a recovery program just as much as my loved one does. It's taught me to ask for help, something I never thought I could do before. It's taught me many slogans that help me get through the tough days and times. The three C's, which is didn't cause it, can't control it, can't cure it. Detachment, let go and let God, and let it begin with me. It brings me peace. It has opened my eyes. And because of Al-Anon, I am never alone, and I always have someone to turn to for help. And I'm so glad that she submitted this because as you were talking, Spencer, I started thinking that something I left out when, when I had been explaining what Elena is to me is about asking for help. I distinctly remember this feeling before the program of total isolation and this sort of inner competitiveness almost of feeling like I have to do this myself. I have to do this alone. I have to fix this. I can't tell anyone how bad this is. They would never believe me. They would never understand. And, and sometimes it's just hard to put it into words, you know, how you're feeling or how your situation is affecting you. And so I'm so glad that she brought up the idea of asking for help because that is something that I vehemently opposed when I first came to the program. I just thought it was an issue of capability, you know, that if I couldn't do it myself, there was something wrong with me or I wasn't worthy. And today I know that a lot of that is just craziness in my head. And when, as soon as I bounce my thoughts off someone else, they usually, much like you said about your sponsee, Spencer, that they usually confirm that uh, I'm crazy and that what I was thinking of doing is probably not the best option. And so it just, it, it helps me stay right sized and, and be like you said, Spencer, the person that I want to be, not the person that my first instinct tells me to be. So yeah, asking for help is a huge benefit. You also said, you talked about not being able to put your feelings into words. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. You know, one of, one of the experiences that I often have in a meeting is to have somebody else talking about their life, talking about their experience, strength and hope and, and to have this sort of click light bulb thing in my head, like, Oh wow, that is me. I have actually said in meetings, you know, after somebody shared, I said, wow, how did you get inside my head? You know, <laughs> how is it that you're living my life? Because that I have that exact same experience, but maybe I hadn't seen it or I, I hadn't put words to it. And so just the sharing of our, uh, of our experience or, or other people sharing their experience can help me to recognize uh, things that I hadn't seen before. Uh, it also helps to validate that I'm not weird. <laughs> okay. I've gone through the 12 steps a, a couple times with a group and uh, including going through in fairly fair, fair amount of detail um, our inventories uh, together. And when we get to a question about, you know, potential character defect and it's something that I'm feeling some shame about, uh, some embarrassment about. And when sort of everybody else in the group says, Oh yeah, you know, t- shares their, their version of that defect and, right. and, and, it comes back to not being alone, but it, it also comes back to, to validating my humanity right. um, that I'm not weird. I'm not, I'm not out there on the edge. I'm not a horrible person. I'm just human. Mm-hmm. And so are you. Yeah. I, I completely, I, I don't know why I'm here. I feel like today you guys are just like covering it. And I'm like, yeah, I second that <laughs> <laughs> right there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely. Actually, Spencer, I, I loved what you said a lot. Um, usually when we come to the segment of our show where we're talking about our meetings, since all three of us kind of go to these same meetings. And it's interesting to hear all three of us have different perspectives or take different messages from the same meetings. And when I go to meetings, I kind of feel like that about my life. Like even if I'm not sharing, three different people will share and I'll hear my story, three different perspectives, and I'll, I'll see it from different angles rather than from my tiny corner of the universe. And, um, and because I was able to hear all of that, I was, I was able to, to ask for help. And sometimes help doesn't come in terms of, hey, this is how I'm feeling. Sometimes it comes in terms of, this is what I need. And uh, that's something I've I've definitely done a lot more these past few days. And it's been insane. This is the first time, yesterday, for the first time in my life, I actually asked for a hug because I needed it. And I was like, oh my God, this is really uncomfortable. But I got a hug. <laughs> so we're good. We're good. But um but yeah, and another thing about this program is that there is an incredible sense of community and I don't feel isolated anymore. And I reached out to people and in the past I, I did that too. I was very competitive. I didn't want anyone to know that I, I couldn't handle something because I thought they'd think I was weak and I already had low enough self-esteem without everyone else thinking, knowing rather all these sad truths that I knew about myself. But, um, it turned out to be a source of strength because I was then able to, um, I was then able to say, you know, this is this is just who I am. I'm someone that needs a hug right now. And it's been amazing. People have just, you know, constantly been sending me texts or phone calls like, hey, thinking of you. Uh, let me know if you need anything, you know, prayers and thoughts, that kind of stuff. And wow, just Al-Anon in so many ways has been such a lifesaver in that way. Which leads me to the, the next question here is, <laughs> is why do you keep coming back? I mean, I, and I don't mean that in a, why the heck would you keep coming back? <laughs> um, because I know why I keep coming back and I'm, I'm, I'm interested to hear what your experience is. Well, um, separate from the sense of community, I, I think, so in the, in the big book for, of AA, which, uh, I really, I really like reading, it says in there that we are never cured, that we are, granted a day's reprieve I'm, I'm not quoting it exactly but we're essentially granted a day's reprieve uh, which is based on our spiritual condition and when i come back to alanon i i feel renewed i feel like i'm not alone that there are other people like me because it's so easy so quick for me to go back to that place of i'm alone i have to do this by myself i'm going to power through it bite the bullet and and all of that and when i am alone when i am away from people that understand that i feel like understand that i feel like i can connect with i I, I return to those old behaviors. When I go to Al-Anon, even if I'm reading literature, even if I'm talking to people, there's nothing like a meeting for me. And uh, when I go to Al-Anon, I, I'm able to remember, like, look at all of these people. They're all here. They're all supportive. They're all 
hopefully not judging me. Um, and at the end of the meeting, my absolute favorite part of every meeting is at the end of the meeting, we all hold hands, we say the serenity prayer, and then we say, works if you work it. And my absolute favorite part, you're worth it, which it's, it's nice to be reminded every so often and not just, you know, keep telling myself, you know, I, I can do it, I can do it. But someone, a group of people sometimes saying that to me can be my higher power. That's, that's why I keep coming back. What about you, Spencer? Well, you know, at the beginning, I kept coming back because it was, it was really helping me to, um, to live in peace with, with my alcoholic. You know, my alcoholic's been in sobriety for a while, but if I don't come to Al-Anon, now that I recognize my dysfunctional behaviors and dysfunctional thinking, if I don't come to Al-Anon regularly, and, you know, maybe there would be another place, but Al-Anon works. I, I start to go back into those ways of thinking and, and those behaviors, and it doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. I like to make the, the analogy with going to a gym. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to the gym to get yourself, to help yourself physically, you know, to your physical health. And you don't go to the gym for a couple of weeks and, you know, build up some muscle, build up some endurance. Well, maybe it takes more than a couple of weeks, but, you know, unless you're taking, uh, Steroids or something. And, uh, <laughs> that's another program. Yeah, that's another program, exactly. You know, you don't say, oh, I got this gym thing. I don't need to go anymore. Yeah. Okay? And for me, Al-Anon is like that. It's my spiritual exercise. It, it keeps me uh, mentally and spiritually healthy. Mm-hmm. And I need to keep doing that. I need to keep working that program. You know, I think it might have been the first year I was in Al-Anon. It came around to New Year's. Mm-hmm. Whichever year it was, we had a meeting on New Year's Day my regular meeting happened to fall on New Year's Day. And, and so one of the p- things people were talking about in the meeting was, was New Year's resolutions. And, uh, and I said, you know, I am, I'm, I'm done making New Year's resolutions. I have one resolution and it's not one I make at the beginning of the year. It's one that I make all the time, which is to keep working this program. Mm-hmm. And that's the only resolution that I need because if I keep working this program, I will fix everything else that I want to fix. Mm-hmm. Kelly? Yeah. I agree with that. I keep coming back. Well, actually, there's a, there's a, um, there's someone in, in one of our meetings who explains it in a way that when he first started coming, he felt good for the hour that he was in the room. And then as soon as he left, he would start to feel crazy again. And then eventually, you know, he would feel good for the hour of the meeting. And then, when he got in his car and then about a mile down the road and then he would start to feel crazy. And anyway, to shorten the story, the way that he keeps explaining it is gradually he felt better for longer and longer after each meeting that he attended. And I can definitely relate to that because when I first started coming, it was, you know, as, as codependent as my relationship was, it was an hour break away from my alcoholic that I really needed. You know, I needed that space to be away from him, to, to be in my own space, to hear other people talking. You know, I, I just needed to be forced out of, out of my codependent situation. And so, you know, I felt better for an hour at a time. And now I'm at a point where it's, I feel like it's just become part of my lifestyle. It's not, um, like Spencer said, it's not like going to the gym for the month of January and then deciding I don't want to work out anymore. You know, it's, it's something that I, I don't feel right if I don't go now mm-hmm. that I, much as you both said, I start to feel crazy if I go too long without going to a meeting. And, you know, nowadays it's, it's where all my friends are. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I still have friends out of the program and I still have coworkers, but the people that I'm closest to, the people that I relate to the most and the people that I am most honest with in my relationships are in the program. And it's really sad if I have to go a couple of weeks without seeing them. So, so yeah, it's, it's almost kind of a part of me now. What would you say to somebody who is thinking about coming to Al-Anon they haven't come. They're not sure what Elanon might do for them. Maybe they're not sure if they qualify. Um, what might you say to, to a friend? Not it. <laughs> not it. Not it. Kelly first. I, uh, <laughs> I'll volunteer. <laughs> I would say that for me, it was one of those things in the beginning that I had to do, even though I didn't want to do it. 
And so I would say, if you're scared, all of us are terrified when we come to our first meeting. So you're not alone in that sense. I would, well, well, and I feel like what we usually suggest around this area anyway is to try six meetings, whether it's six different meetings or going to the same meeting six times, whatever works for you and your schedule. But I would say that it's worth trying. And it's been my experience that there are lots of people in this world who are affected by this disease and may or may not know it. I think it's, I think alcoholism is very prevalent out there. And I think the only way to be sure if you qualify is to actually go and hear what people have to say. Because much as um, Spencer and Swetha mentioned, a lot of times the relating to the program, especially in the beginning, comes from just hearing other people who have experienced the same situation or similar situations to what you have. And you can't get that through just the literature, Mm -hmm. in my experience. So I would say go for it. Take a friend if you have to, you know, if you're, if you're, yeah. if you're too nervous to go by yourself, ask somebody to go with you. Yeah. Just do it. I if guess. If I can add to that, Kelly, and I second that. Um, <laughs> but if I could add to that when I went to my first meeting, I think, yeah, like you said, just go it, go there, try it. And for me, picking up a phone list, uh, helped a lot. I mean, people that are really friendly, they're on the phone list because they want to be called. They're willing to take your calls. They're willing to talk to you. Yeah, pick up a phone list, make the calls. Uh, that's what, that's what kept me coming back and helped me realize that I, I do belong there and, uh, that it's okay because as my, my standard was always, I don't really belong here. They don't really understand me. I'm alone. And one meeting wouldn't have done it for me. Obviously didn't do it for me. Um, so yeah, pick up a phone list, call people, talk to people, ask questions. Yeah. That Spencer. Yeah. I think I just want to touch a little bit on the, do I belong here question? Mm-hmm. Uh, because that is, that is one that I hear people asking a lot. One of the, uh, the Wednesday night meeting that, that I is, I consider my home group every, after every meeting, we have what we call a, a newcomers meeting, which allows people who are new to the program to sit down with some people who are, uh, have more time in the program, more experience and, and to ask questions. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, that I often hear is, you know, I don't, I don't know if I belong here. I don't know if, I don't, I don't think anybody in my family drinks, but when I came here, I, I heard things that I really identified with. And, and I mean, I have two responses there. One, the immediate response is, well, if, if you're hearing stuff that you connect with, then you probably belong here, whether you know where that came from or not. And, mm-hmm. You know, and actually I would reflect what, what Kelly said that in, that in your family, the, the act of alcoholism, at least on, on your father's side of the family was way back, but you can still see the effects. And I remember somebody saying in a meeting that she had heard somewhere that the effects of alcoholism can last in the family up to seven generations. That's kind of scary thought, actually. Um, so if you're not sure you, you qualify, but the, the stuff that we're talking about here, um, strikes a chord with you, you identify with some of the things we've said, um, and you haven't been to a meeting, I would suggest that you give it a try because, uh, you may find, uh, a lot more joy in your life as a result. Spencer, really quickly, I just wanted to share at a meeting recently, Someone spoke, and I think it was only her third or fourth meeting, and she had said that she wasn't sure if she qualified because she was looking at her surroundings. She had no family members. She had no distant family members. She wasn't in a relationship with someone. Mm -hmm. She didn't think she'd ever dated someone with a, a, a drinking problem. But she had a really close friend, a best friend, that she was starting to feel like maybe had a problem. And she came for, you know, like I said, maybe three or four meetings and at that point really felt like she qualified. So I, I just wanted to clarify to any listeners who aren't sure, it doesn't have to be someone you're in a relationship with. It doesn't have to be a child or a parent. It can just be a close friend. And the other thing that I wanted to say is you really have nothing to lose by going to a meeting other than maybe... Some, an hour of your life. An hour of your life and maybe some 
you know, bad behavior. But other, <laughs> other than that, you know, I think it's worth taking a chance on anyway. Mm-hmm. Take a chance on us. I mean, we should use that song. <gasps> that's, that's a good song. Yeah. I think I want to uh, close this section um, with a reading that I found just recently and seemed to really strike a chord with, I think, both Swetha and Kelly. Uh, this is uh, from a poem by the poet Rumi. And he says, Do not dwell in darkness like a night bird. Pray for the monsters of your imagination. Get up and seek the light. Look towards the sun. And I will say that that Alanon has really helped me with not dwelling in darkness, with not letting the monsters of my imagination prey on me, and with, with giving me some light that I can look towards. So after a short break, we'll be back with Our Lives in Recovery, where we talk about the meetings we attend and what's happening in our lives. And Kelly, what, what music are we going to play now? Well, our first musical selection is Jeff Buckley singing Hallelujah. There's a lot of different versions of this song, um, and some of them are really good, but this is the one I'm most familiar with, and so I picked Jeff's version. Um, you know, some of the lyrics are things, uh, let's see, such as, and love is not a victory march, it's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. And so to me, this song, the whole song is really speaking about the idea that, um, you know, the working the program or being in the program or trying to change my way of living is not always easy. It takes a lot of work and it takes time. And even after all of that investment, things still aren't perfect. Um, you know, there's still up and down, ups and downs, but regardless, I still make it through, especially with the presence of higher power. And, you know, obviously the chorus, hallelujah, just to me is sort of celebrating the fact that I found a different way of living. So here it is. this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. And it's just me this week. Um, Swetha and Kelly are are in the past. And I'm thinking back over the week, and it's actually been a pretty quiet week. And and I think I can attribute some of that actually to to program directly because I had a lot going on at work and at home, but I seem to have learned how to set boundaries and, and prioritize and, and do the first things first that are important and not stress about the things that maybe don't get done. We we ate a lot of leftovers this week because I get recipes and I make them and they usually are for four to six people and there are two of us. So then we have a lot of leftovers and, you know, eventually it's like, oh, let's just, let's just sit back and, and eat this stuff we already made and not have to stress about making new food. And that's, that's pretty good. Saturday was the district-sponsored open talk by uh, a person that I've known for a long time. I think met her at my second Al-Anon meeting ever, so it's been a while. I thought, well, I've I've heard her story before, but I should go and, and be of support anyway. And my wife went with me, and she hadn't heard the talk. So as always, as always, there was new stuff. I don't know, you know, it was put together in a different way. I think there was, she said some things that I hadn't heard her say in meetings before. She focused, and this is an open talk, so I feel like I can at least talk about what I heard. She focused on really the role of step three in her life. And it was, um, it was interesting because as she said, she came into the program with a very strong spiritual practice and depth of, of, understanding, well, not necessarily understanding, but depth of commitment. She said step three really was was easy for her because she had committed her will and her life to God several times in her life already before she came to program. She said the, the stumbling block there was really step two. She believed in a higher power. She believed that her higher power could restore her to sanity, but would he? And that was the stumbling block on step three. And what she said had to happen for her was that her understanding of God changed. And we very often interpret and understand 
those words in step three, God as we understood him, to mean everybody has their own concept of God and you don't force yours on me and I don't force mine on you. But she said, no, her understanding of God had to change from a God that was perhaps a little bit judgmental, a little bit punishing to one who was all love and would restore her to sanity. It was a good talk. It was a really good talk. It was in a small chapel in a church. It was a new location for these talks, and it was, a, I think, a more pleasant atmosphere than the talks we'd had in the previous year, which, you know, doesn't affect the, the content of the talk, but the overall experience, definitely. And I was glad to see some people at, at the talk that I hadn't seen it at these talks before. I hope the word is getting out. If you live anywhere near Ann Arbor, Michigan, which you probably don't, this is a, a monthly event. It will be advertised on the district website, and I will try to remember to mention it here. So search for Alan on Ann Arbor. Open talk, you probably find some. So yeah, quiet week, and looking forward to, to the new week. So I have a upcoming episode about resentment prepared. I hope to do that next week. And we last talked about resentment in episode eight, so it seemed like it might be might be time to do it again from you know with new perspective, new guests. So if you have thoughts, experience, strength, and hope, questions about resentment, send them to us. You can call and leave a voicemail at seven three four seven zero seven eight seven nine five. You can send email to feedback at the recovery dot com. Or you can visit our contact page at therecovery.show slash contact for all the details. We would love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope or your questions about today's topic of what is Al-Anon, upcoming topic of resentment or obsessive thinking or Alateen, which are also in the planning stages. And if you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. some emails and voicemail this week to share. Uh, An email titled, So Glad You Are There For Me. Hi, my name is Carolyn, and I'm an alcoholic and sober. I'm married to an alcoholic who, like me, has been sober 26 years. I have never gone through such hardship like this in sobriety, where after 35 years of marriage, he moves out, and I hardly see him now. I know he has a stressful job and has had depression. It has been a very dark and unknown time. I never put myself on the line for Al-Anon recovery until one week ago. I was crying while getting ready to go out, and a clear voice told me to go on the Al-Anon path. I know it was God. So I rang an old AA member who I knew did Al-Anon and spoke to her and got hope. I live in a very isolated place in Australia, so to hear what Al-Anon is about, I googled whatever I did and got into your podcasts. Everything is made so clear since I am so new to this and I am learning so much about myself and where I can see my failure on my side of the fence, like control issues and having way too high expectations of not only my husband, but with others. I have a long way to go, but I know this is just the tip of the iceberg and will have more to learn about myself and about the disease of my husband. Great job you are all doing. Kind regards, Carolyn. Carolyn, I'm I'm just grateful to hear that we can be there for you. And that's one of the reasons that we started this podcast was to reach out to people who maybe hadn't been to a meeting or people who had difficulty getting to a meeting and needed to hear that recovery is available and to hear the experience of our experience and that of our guests in recovery in hopes that it might help you a little bit. So thanks for letting us know that it is helping. Mike has a suggestion. He says, hi. Thank you for creating these podcasts. I often listen to them when stinking thinking has me awake at 4 or 5 a.m. That usually helps bring enough peace into my mind that I can get some more sleep. I haven't seen an episode that deals specifically with regrets. Having grown up in an alcoholic home, I was incredibly repressed emotionally and insecure and was never able to tell the love of my life how I felt about her until last year, 30 years later, when she told me that she'd felt the same way. Problem is, it was too late. That and a few other huge missed opportunity regrets will probably plague me for the rest of my life. I've read tons, and opening our hearts, transforming our losses was helpful. 
but those regrets are eating me up inside. I'd love to hear someone's experience at overcoming and dealing with this sort of thing. Is there a podcast on this that I missed in my searches? Thank you, Mike. And Mike, I'm, I'm pretty sure there isn't. I actually haven't looked, but I'm pretty sure there isn't. I don't remember doing one on regret. And, you know, it is a good topic because many of us feel that we have we have missed opportunities, not done the right thing. You know, for me, it's it's a letting go and acceptance, I think, are the, the keys, but it ain't easy. Letting go of, of the desire to change the past, which can't happen. Listener writes and asks about finding a sponsor. Hi, I love your podcast and have been listening since October. I have donated before and will again soon. A few months back, someone wrote in about not having a sponsor and finding one in another location. I have a weird situation in that I moved out of our house and rented a vacation home far away to breathe and figure things out. Since October, I've lived in four towns and attended Al-Anon regularly, now finally setting in a short-term vacation rental until May. I attend meetings here and love the group. It's a small town, and meetings are small. I don't know how or where to get a sponsor, because I don't know where I'll be. I've been reading the books, too, and listening to podcasts. Now I have a small crisis with the man I love, and I have no one to call, and that's when I wish I had a sponsor. Any thoughts or suggestions? Thanks so much. I would say just ask somebody. Ask somebody to be a temporary sponsor, or just ask if you can call. You don't have to make that commitment say, oh, sponsor, Well, It is helpful to have somebody who knows your story already when you call with a crisis. And it is helpful to have somebody you can go to with questions. And when you're ready to work the steps, it's helpful to have somebody who can help guide you through the steps. And it's definitely easier if that person is in the same place that you are. But it's not necessary. And if you start with somebody where you are, got a couple of months maybe to, uh, to build a relation and then you could continue with phone or Skype meetings when, when or if you move. So I would say do it. Go out there, ask somebody to be a temporary sponsor or to be a phone resource that you feel you can call when you need to. Just do it. Got a thank you from Arizona. I am loving the podcast and wanted to say thank you for this service. My husband and I are listening on our own and loving it the most. I'm starting with episode 189, so excited to have a history of episodes to go back to. Spencer, your voice is soothing, and your thoughts are just like being in a meeting. On my phone, what a revelation. Layla C., Prescott, Arizona. Uh, She says her home group is Saturday, 9 a.m. at Trinity Presbyterian Church, Friends of Lois. So I guess if you're in Prescott, there's a meeting. And who knows? That's a vacation place, isn't it, Prescott? People go there for vacation, I think. John left a comment on the website. Hi, Spencer. The Recovery Show is a lifesaver here in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. With only a few meetings in this area, I rely on your podcast for my daily dose of Al-Anon. I listen to episodes more than once, and I always hear something I need to hear. It's helpful to search a podcast by subject and get what I need when I need it. Thank you for your service. And and thank you, Jonna, as I said earlier. Thank you for letting me know that we help. And we got a voicemail from Akila. Hey, Spencer, it's Akila. Um, I'm calling, I think, about the last two episodes or so. Um, you had a couple people who wrote in or called and said that they were having a hard time with thinking about alcoholism as a disease, like is it a cop-out or whatever. And so I just want to share what helped me understand alcoholism as a disease. The first thing was reading the literature. So, and I just reread the first step in Pastor Recovery where they talked about alcoholism as a disease. But what really did it for me was how Al-Anon works, the whole open-end section, because I think the main thing for me anyway is that it really doesn't matter whether the alcoholic thinks he has a problem. What mattered was how the drinking affected me. And when I read that chapter of how Al-Anon works, I was able to very clearly see the effects of alcoholism on my life and to understand I need to work on myself in order to get better. And then once I started doing that, I started to really understand how alcoholism affected the um, body and stuff of the alcoholic. And then when I read in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, Doctor's Opinion, where it discusses the effects, that's when I was really able to get it. So I think you know, it's that same thing. It's like if we keep the focus on ourselves and we start to get better, then we start to understand because I wasn't able to hear 
anything about alcohol, like what it did to the alcoholic until I understood how it affected me and why I was having such a big problem. I also, there was, um, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of the person who called in or wrote in about the anxiety she felt leaving her husband and going to the meetings and how, you know, the effect of her husband thinks it's about her own anxiety from growing up. And what I will say is as an adult child of an alcoholic, a lot, all of my stuff, although there there are many alcoholics in my life, a lot of my anxiety and stress did come from growing up the way I did. And going to meetings helped. And one of the things that I recognized whenever I was making changes that I didn't think would please other people, whenever I would do something like set a boundary, I felt an incredible amount of anxiety. Like I always wanted to crawl out of my skin. And it got better the more I kept going to meetings and the more I kept working on myself. And so I'm, I understand it's not an easy thing. I mean, I was in program for about three years or so, and I had to tell my mom no about something. And I just, I was so glad there was a meeting at night. And the whole time I was at the meeting, I thought I was going to like crawl out of my skin. I just felt so uncomfortable because I was just like, how is she going to feel when I get home? That I basically sat on the edge of my seat through the whole meeting. Being there did help a lot. Um, And when I got home, everything was okay. But it's just like that. So that feeling, I understand it. And so um, I would just say, keep coming to meetings. It gets better. It doesn't feel good necessarily. But after a while, the changes start to come, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. But I found it to be worth it in my life, and it's improved my relationships with my parents who are not in recovery and the other people around me who I care about who may or may not still be drinking. Thank you uh, again. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. And thanks, Akila, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope. I hope that uh, it helps. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We do have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Maria did, and thank you again, Maria. We've also put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link in the menu at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it. Whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, just direct them to therecovery.show, or listening. We are here for you. We're going to close with The Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson. I kind of talked to somebody about how to describe this earlier, but uh, I, I like I like what uh, Kelly was saying. It's obvious. It's The Man in the Mirror. <laughs> also, awesome song. <laughs> for those of you that aren't familiar with it, it's one of the lyrics he says in the song is, I'm starting with The Man in the Mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways, which is Alan on all over. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. <laughs>